awoken, and in a bowling alley, you have a bowling ball in your hands. Looking around, you see nothing but a very long and narrow lane, fit with pins on the end, a black line drawn right in front of the mouth of the wooden river, a finish line. As you stand there, adjusting your grip on the awkward ball, shrugging your shoulders, getting them loose, letting out a short breath of air. As you breathe in, you lift the ball up with your hands to gain a momentous downward swing. Your leg in parallel steps in a long bound toward the black line. You release the upward force on the ball. It allows it to swing like a pendulum. It travels with a smooth arc back behind your body as you curl your wrist and take a long step with your other leg. Bending it slightly, you have your eyes on the arrows. Your foot gracefully slides forward inches of the black line of death as you thrust, multiplying the speed and momentum of the swinging bowling ball. As it becomes perpendicular to the ground, you release your thumb. As it releases, as it rolls off your fingers, you flick your wrist up, creating spin on the ball. It lands in a tight spin upon the long road ahead, hitting the arrow you intended for. Now, as you breathe out a long exhale of life, you stare on as the ball slides, hanging off the edge. It spins and churns with the oil in the wood lane. All you can do is stare, eyes wide, heart pumping. This is it. You have no other options. You are awaiting the collision of your actions. You can pray, you can cry, or you can dance. It doesn't matter. What's done is done. The ball grips, takes hold of the lane, and takes course towards the 1-3 strike pocket. Inches before it slams through the tall walls of the pins, you think, oh, what happens if I don't strike? What if I, what if I leave a split? Uh, how, many, how many shots do I have? What if I just pull through it too fast? Did I do everything right? Did I miss something? Hello, hello. My name is the Art Samurai, and I know, I know. Long time no see, I get it. But I'm back, baby. It's time for a brand fucking new episode of Love, Death, and Afterlife. The afterlife refers to the existence or realm that is believed to exist after death. It is a concept found in various religions, spiritual beliefs, and philosophical traditions. The nature of the afterlife varies greatly depending on cultural and religious perspectives. In, in many religious traditions, the afterlife is considered a continuation of the individual's consciousness or soul after physical death. It is often believed to involve a separation of the soul from the body allowing for an existence beyond the earthly realm. Different beliefs post various destinations or states in the afterlife, such as heaven, hell, purgatory, or reincarnation. I come in every day until you're better. Or until I go to heaven. Do you believe in heaven? Definitely. In some religions, or spiritual systems, the afterlife is seen as a reward or punishment based on a person's actions or moral behavior during their lifetime. It is viewed as a place where justice is served. Individuals are held accountable for their actions. Other belief systems, such as certain forms of Buddhism, focuses on the cyclical nature of existence and suggests that the afterlife involves a rebirth or reincarnation into a new form, based on the acclimated karma or actions of the previous life. 
It's important to note that the concept of the afterlife is a matter of faith and personal belief, and there is no empirical evidence to verify or disprove its existence. Views on the afterlife can vary widely, and they are influenced by cultural, religious, and philosophical perspectives. What do you think happens when you die? As Bertrand Russell said, I believe that when I die, I shall rot, and nothing of my ego shall remain. That's it? Yes. The end, nothing, there's nothing else. How could it, how could it be otherwise? I mean, you, you have a brain, an evolved brain, mm. which works by nerve impulses, and when that decays, what could possibly be left? All right, now that I've defined what the afterlife is to most, I will quickly state a disclaimer for those who are new to my podcast style and who may be unsuspecting for what is to come. I am a creative writer. I pick and choose every word diligently, and I mean every word that I write, poetically and with plenty of underwriting. I craft this script that I'm reading right now. I do not aim for bias. I do not aim for authority. I aim to entertain, give creative insight and concepts towards different topics of conversation. So that when you are finished with this episode, you may sit back, digest, and begin to craft your own opinion and ideas on about this topic. I will be getting heavy, verbose, and as always, fairly sarcastic. So please listen to it through and through, and I'm sure you will come out the other end surprisingly impressed. My dear Lord Jesus, I come to you now to be restored in you, to be renewed in you, to take refuge in you. I honor you as my sovereign Lord, and I surrender every aspect of my life totally and completely to you. I give you my spirit, soul, and body, my heart, my mind, and will. I cover myself with your blood, and I ask your Holy Spirit to restore me in you, renew me in you, and lead this time of prayer. This next segment is brought to you by the most popular religion in my audience and community for the sole reason to nail in my point. I prod the kingdom of God and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. I propose a paradise located in a verdant lush of righteousness and temperance, where all are free of wrath and tribulations, a far place that smells of good faith in themselves. Shall my life be testimony that is absolutely possible? While I may not be omnipresent, omnipotent, or an oracle of divine blessings, I live a life free of vice, free of pardons of sin, free of the pestilence of man's temptation, raptured by self-governance and introspection. I prod the kingdom of God for an orbiting rock washed over by a fallible people that don't believe in you, that believe only in themselves, that have true sacrifice to whom's loves the most, letting go of their want for understanding of what follows life. Letting go the necessity of comfort in their place on the earth and planet. Bring a cure for betrayal. Bring a messiah to cast away death. Cast away decay, cancer. Allow us exodus. To a place where there is no God. No disciples. No overreaching values or crusades to slaughter those non-believers. No blood will wash the sands. If you created us and the universe, 
You must have formed your counter, your vices, your incompetence. Satan named the opposer of the world, the ruler of evil and horrid, being as powerful as the gospel sings. You claim the ability to free the world of his grasp and uncreate, so powerful that you are reluctant to squeeze the cancerous cells that grow inside the bald, hurting eight-year-old girl whose life you're the giver of is ending before she has the chance to live. She was born dead, born abandoned by your management. You use her as a vessel of education to the hundreds of people she will affect in her short lifespan. Free will deemed so powerful it controls even God himself. He chooses to not rid the world of sin, temptation, or jealousy. Reduce the seven to zero. Reduce the world to joy and life. Yet you sit there upon your mighty throne, an Indian giver. Sacrifice nothing to your children and expect their life commitment in return. You gave your only son to the world and they had him killed. You then took him away, never to be seen again. Did you treat the other life the same? Create a book so convoluted it can't be interpreted by even the most uncommon people? You give life and take it. You show no face, no value, only promises and sly symbols. You abide by the rules only you created. You allow the devil roam. You allow villains to kill and slaughter your own. You allow plagues to smooth out the planet you've claimed. Who else have you created somewhere else? When will we meet our siblings? Never is the day you decide to use your almighty power to stop them from ripping skin from our skeletons you designed. To whom do you give the magical evangelical powers of splitting water, transmutation, and a life worth living? How dare you mock those who don't beg for your own mercy from the evil you created and the problems you soak into the earth? How dare you act like the savior to the evil you provide, just to then say you are the most powerful and most good and most righteous? You should be ashamed of the death you deal on this small rock. An asteroid for your first creations? Idiocy for your second? Molten rock and frozen deaths for your third? Got a little carried away there. My apologies. I uh, personally am not religious or atheist for the latter. I'm simply rolling the best track I can. The afterlife is something to be explored. It's mystical. It's a wild phenomenon in human history. Many cultures have wildly different perspectives regarding this topic. So whichever you are, I'm sure you've thought pretty hard about it. That being said, let's dive headfirst into the second segment. Or you may enter the atmosphere to walk among them again. 
The opportunity to interact with these dwellers is in the past. The only ability you have now is to observe and listen. You will be able to move through time at will. From the very beginning of time, where all was ended and began, to where it will begin again. You may manipulate the speed of time passing. Your eternal life is not shared. It will end when time begins again. When all matter is recycled. Oh, fuck. May your consciousness roam free, Benjamin. That's my version of an afterlife, but there are many, as I mentioned previously. Some far more bizarre theories include endless blackness, where you are alone with your thoughts until you fly through a white portal into a world of white open space. Ripe with all of your lost loved ones, pets, anyone who ever carried love for you in their heart. To others, we are going to die, and as we slowly drift away, we crash through a barrier where we wake on the other side of a massive, overpopulated world where everyone is condemned to a 4 by 4 space, attached to a brain synthesizing virtual reality machines that runs predestined lives over and over with such fidelity, you are indifferent to reality. This is sometimes called... The Matrix. Say what you want about wild theories of the afterlife. I can't help but mention that it's just as unreasonable to believe in the matrix than it is to believe in a heaven where you're floating amongst clouds beyond the pearly gates forever and ever with eternal happiness and purpose. If you find it hard to swallow that statement, I ask you to take a step back. Look at the reality around you. Touch it. Smell it. Breathe its atmosphere. The ant is doing the same. The snake, the lion, the beetle. Yet the ones with a high consciousness get everlasting salvation? You kill termites, ants, roaches, like they mean less than nothing to you. But when a three-time child rapist, murderer, and wife killer gets put to sleep with a syringe, you scream inhumane? You scream and preach human life? Do we not, too, have the same violent tendencies as the lion? The same curiosity of the ant? The same perseverance of the beetle? The only thing separating us from the anthill is that we have hands to build a larger anthill made of stone, brick, and glass. I've been filming people under deep hypnosis for a decade now, and 45 people that I chose, skeptics, atheists, scientists, agnostics, a myriad, all say the same things about the afterlife. This is not my theory, belief, or philosophy. I'm just reporting what they consistently say about the journey, and the results that have been shown to be, you know, reproducible. Something that science insists must occur for reports to become data. But you've got that backwards. People became aware of the afterlife while here on the planet. Like, people became aware that there is land beyond the waters of Europe. The way they learned that there are galaxies that are... that the sun isn't the center of the universe. Becoming aware that the afterlife is our natural state of existence, and that coming here to the planet is the adventure in the fish tank. And that we choose to explore allows us to see clearly what the process is. 
a quote by Richard Martini. Sitting down in this busy bowling alley, you look around, nervously, at the others getting ready to bowl and you're up next. Your heart pumping, your palms getting slick, your skin feeling itchy. Looking to your right, you see a man with expensive bowling shoes, a custom-fitted ball of all the colors of the universe. He has chalk for his shoes, a polisher for his ball, and a coach standing stoically behind him. He has everything to get a strike. Just give in to him. It's not fair that only you have your sticky, bare feet, your tough, wrinkled hands, and your house ball that has a crack in it. It's not fair that you've worked so hard to have this opportunity, and he has it better. It's not fair, you cry out. It's, it's not fair. It's not fair at all. He sees you're taking too long to bowl, so he stands up, lays his pristine polishing cloth down. His coach gives him a nod. The man then turns back towards the lane and takes a few steps. You see certainty in his expression. His broad shoulders, large muscles, he puts his foot down on the end of the line and sets himself in a bowling stance that seems like he has done it a few trillion times. He takes a small step forward as he brings the ball up and out straight, then a large step, another, his arm swings back, he leans, his leg sweeps, his arm follows through, he twists his hand and the ball spins slowly in the air, landing directly on the arrow he was aiming for, and it starts to heavenly glide across the lane, churning into the oil. It rides the edge like a train on the side of a mountain. It, it curves back and takes a huge bite of the wood to grab it and twist, heading for the strike pocket. But what? It bit too hard. It curved it too hard. It spins and spins at great speeds. It misses the strike pocket and hits the left side of the pin chamber, and his face drains with life, and he floats away. Nothing takes his place. Nothing remains. So? Who fucking cares? It doesn't matter what you have at the end of your life because you're going to die. It's, you can't bring it with you. You can't invest it into your afterlife. You must make the most of your life now. It doesn't matter if you have nothing, something, or everything. It's what you do. It's your actions that create your life. Not what you say, not what you wear, not what you hear. It's what you do every fucking day. It's the grind of being a fantastic person, standing up for what you believe in, and grabbing people close to you by the heart, and yelling at them, saying how much you love them and appreciate their time given to you, because at the end of the world, at the moment of your last breath, the most valuable thing will be every second that goes by. No amount of time will ever be enough. Why don't you think every wealthy person spends most of their money on saving time? It's all they have that no one can buy, sell, distribute. It's not something you can earn, make more of, or use less of. You can only get at most 120 years. There is one millionaire who is doing his fucking darndest to live forever, but it ain't gonna work. It's not possible. You can live till you're 400 years old, and still, when the lights are going out and you wish for a moment that you had just one more minute to look at those who are in front of you. When you go into the afterlife and you are forced to face the consequences of your life, 
It might be that all-good, all-knowing God and the pearly gates. It might just be a pasta monster floating in space. It might be nothing. But why not make every move count, every second count, so that when the time comes, you lean back and relax because you know deep down you lived the life you wanted and felt happy. Maybe not right now, but by that time. So if you're unhappy now, make small steps towards that goal because happiness doesn't come with money, but opportunity does. And the opportunity to do something great, worthwhile, and fulfilling with money makes people happy. Everything you do, from the moment you wake up to the time you go to sleep, is leading to the moment you release that bowling ball down the lane. From there, you can't do shit but stare at it. Cry, plead, beg, praise, because it's gone. Your power, it's gone. All you can do now is hope that you live the life you wanted. The best way you know how is that when the ball meets the pins, it strikes. And if it doesn't, redeem yourself and pick up the fucking spare. This is Jason. Thank you for listening to this episode. I'm so thankful you gave me the time of your life. It is valuable. So please, once this is over, go spend it doing something you love doing and giving thanks to people that probably haven't heard it in a while. In the end, who cares what you believe in? It only matters what you do every day. So again, thank you for listening. If you like this style of podcast, give me a follow or like or whatever your favorite listening app calls it. I'll see you in the next one. I'm the Art Samurai, and this is Love, Death, and... (laughs)